Welcome everyone to As For Me and My House. Thanks for joining us in your homes and around your tables as we dive into our study in Philippians, which we have entitled, Finding Joy in Every Season. Now, not everybody at home probably knows this, but Lauren, once upon a time, back in the day, you were quite the gymnast. And you still have a lot of those gymnast abilities today. But I bring this up to say that this next story that you're going to tell, it meant a lot to you back in those days, didn't it? Yeah, it did. In the most memorable Olympics I have ever watched, the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games, the U.S. and the Russian women's gymnastics teams were fighting for gold. Now, growing up in the U.S., I was naturally cheering on the U.S. team, and they were neck and neck. And gymnast Carrie Strug was last up for the U.S. team on vault, and it was the final hope to clench gold. And on this last vault, she t- or the first of the two vaults, she tore two ligaments in her ankle in a bad landing on that vault. Rather than give up the Americans' team opportunity to win the gold medal, she hopped on one leg and took her place in front of the vault. The audience collectively held their breath. Pushing aside pain, she ran full throttle, hurling her body over the vault, and executed a nearly perfect landing. Wincing as she lifted her injured foot, she threw her arms up in triumph. She finished well. Yeah, and so our text today is asking, will you finish well? On the infinitely grander stage of faith, how will you finish? Will you press on through adversity or through apathy? Will you push on through to the prize? And so today's verses, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, they they read for us like a motivational speech worthy of an Olympic athlete. You know, in scripture, the Christian life is often compared to a race. And here we see that same language as the Apostle Paul is effectively going, you know, effectively he's going to say to us today, Lauren, in this text, um, that as we follow Christ, we need to be reaching forward, pressing onward, moving upward. So that's what we're going to look at today, and, and, and we're going to ask, why do we need this focus? And the answer is really because of the two deadly A's to our faith. Two deadly A's. These are apathy and arrival, and, and these will keep coming up in our, in our time together as we keep going. So let's, let's look at our passage, uh, Philippians 3.12. Paul says this, not that, I have already attained, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So those first few words, he says, it's not as though I have already attained this. And what this is, is Paul is acknowledging that he has not arrived. He has not come to a place in his faith where he can say he's made it. So here's the first deadly A, arrival, this attitude that says I've arrived. Uh, It's fascinating, isn't it? Paul, he's the super apostle. And and he is saying that he's not there yet with his relationship with Christ. It's not yet complete. He's not yet perfect. He recognizes he does not know Christ the way that he wants to. He has not grasped already the intimate knowledge of his Savior that he seeks. Paul, the spiritual giant, he is still engaged, engaged in the struggle of living the daily Christian life. Now, we know that Paul was satisfied with Jesus, but he was not satisfied with the Christian life, with where he was yeah, and this is so interesting because Paul would not have said this before conversion. He was saying before, according to the law, that, that he was perfect. He was blameless. He had arrived. But then he met Jesus, and the gospel humbled him, and he confessed that he was a work in progress. In the same way, we are not yet what we should be, can be, or will be. We are not yet what, what we ought to be. 
And this is a good thing to recognize and it is good for us to assess. Yeah, so it's good for us to assess, right? That if we've arrived, if we have that kind of attitude in our thinking, um, why do we want to assess that? Well, because it means the difference between having a mere head knowledge or, or a real knowledge of Christ. We could say that an arrival attitude is also self-righteousness, right? Yeah, and self-righteousness is a warning sign to us that we have a head knowledge but may not have a very close communion with Christ. You know, my own experience attests to the fact that the more I know Christ personally and intimately, the more I see his holiness and the more I realize just how far I have to go. You know, it humbles me like nothing else can. My sin becomes abundantly clear when I am near him and I want to grow. It makes me hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is so necessary because if we do not have this holy dissatisfaction, it is probably because we are either insensitive to sin or are defending ourselves. And I've been there too. So are we quick to confess a need for our own growth? That actually shows maturity. Which is what Paul is showing. He has this mark of maturity when he says, it's not as though I've already attained all this. So he is at the the same time basically saying that he has a sanctified dissatisfaction. Mm. I like that term, a sanctified dissatisfaction. And so it needs to be with you and me that we're humbly acknowledging that I have not arrived yet. I have miles and miles and miles to go in my faith. Now for some of us, This idea of not attaining this yet uh, can be the humbling that we need uh, if we're those that maybe think that we've arrived. However, for others, this could be discouraging. There are some that might be thinking, well, I already know that I'm nowhere near arriving. I already know that I have so far to go in my faith. And so if I know that, why even try? And, And this now is the other deadly A, the A of apathy, when we say, why, why try? Mm. Uh, and, and neither arrival nor apathy is an option in the Christian life. And we're going to see this. So since Paul has not already ad- obtained all of this, what now is his strategy? Because he has one. He says in verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I press on. Circle that little word, I. Paul recognizes his own responsibility, that he has to pursue the greater personal experiential knowledge and intimacy uh, with Christ and conformity to Christ. I press on. Now, um, we, we too have that responsibility in our journeys, don't we? Sanctification does not come automatically um, we each must one, must, must, each one of us must diligently and intentionally pursue it. So also notice then the word, of course, press on. In the Greek, that is diako, and that's a great word. It means to run after, to flee, or to catch a person or thing. It's a very aggressive word. And so this is the idea of the runner who's pushing hard, pressing on. You know, those limbs are pumping uh, all to get to the finish line. This is Paul's all-out effort to pursue Christ. Yeah, so what does pressing on look like practically? I think it has to mean being active to prioritize our relationship with the Lord, taking time to meet with Him in the Word and in prayer. And that's not just checking a box, but actually seeking communion with Christ. I was just talking to a friend this week and sharing that it is so easy to get off track. 
you know, there will always be something to take our focus off of the Lord and off of our relationship with Him. It could be school or work or children. Our lives will not slow down. Our lives get busy. And, and what are we to do when this happens? Do we press on to know Christ? Do we abandon our time in the Word? How are we pressing on today? We must be intentional in our relationship with the Lord, or it will quickly be crowded out. It can even get crowded out with good things, but we can't allow that to happen. We must prioritize now because things will not slow down. Yeah, so right here is where we maybe ought to be asking, so where am I in the race? Right. Where am I? Am I running, walking, a spectator, sipping a drink with friends in the stands? We need to be in the race, pursuing Christ and pursuing holiness. Okay, now even if we uh, can nod our heads to that and say amen and say that's true, but let's be honest now, it is, it is hard, hard to run any race without motivation. Mm. You know, I know when we come home to our house, we, we have to drive up the big hill of Clifton Road, or at least halfway anyway, and when we go up our road of Clifton Road, um, you, you see people running up this big hill, and I think to myself, something has to be driving them. Something has to be pushing them up that big, long hill. It's no secret that you're not going to get off the couch, let alone run hard and push through big pain without big motivation. And what we see, though, is Paul says, you have motivation. Mm -hmm. We have motivation. Paul holds it up right here in these verses. We could miss it, but it's there. So let's look again in verse 12. He says, But I press on to make it my own because because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So there's the motivation. And notice the order. Paul is pursuing Christ in in the present time because of something that has already happened in the past. Christ has made him his own. So there's the motivation. Christ had already taken a hold of Paul first. And, And we know, we touched on this last week even, We know that this was back on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Paul had that dramatic transformation. Um, It it began with a clear encounter with Jesus Christ. He was converted to Christ. He was commissioned by Christ. And so we have to see the gospel centrality of this race. We run to Christ realizing that he first ran his race to us. Isn't that true, Lauren? Like Mm -hmm. he left, he ran from from heaven to earth, to the cross, to the grave, to his resurrection, ascended back to heaven, and he ran to us. And he, it was an all-out pursuit for us. He Mm. left nothing on the table, spent his life Mm. to make us his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this verse also reminds me of my own testimony. You know, I was actively running in the opposite direction of the Lord. I wasn't pursuing him, but, but he was pursuing me. And what love is it that even while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He took a hold of me. He lifted me out of the pit of destruction and saved me. He put a desire in my heart to seek him. He redirected me from a purposeless and hell-bound existence to a pure, satisfying, God-glorifying, eternally fruitful race. He took a hold of me, so I run hard after the purposes for which he created me. He saved me not by my good works, but for good works. And I want to give myself to the purposes for which I was created. And he not only took hold of me, he took hold of everyone listening. If you have turned to him in faith, 
He spoke light into your heart to see the glory of the gospel. He spoke your faith into existence from nothingness, and he is the author of your faith. He has a purpose for your life. And oh, that we would just, we would pursue him and his purpose with abandon. Let's not waste our lives living for self. Let us run for his glory and for his purposes. So we have this great gospel motivation, and it's from this that Paul goes to exhortation. Next, in uh, verse 13b, he says, uh, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Now, first of all, that word brothers, and here it also can include sisters. Uh, deliberately, Paul is shifting the attention to, to the brothers and the, and the sisters. He's saying, hey, my, my own personal experience is, is relevant for you as well. Uh, the pursuit that Paul's talking about is not just for the Pauls in the church. It's for the alls in the church. It's for everyone. It's for, it's for you. And you have to love the simplicity of these words when he says, but one thing I do. So here we find that Paul is a one-thing guy. He is passionately pursuing a greater knowledge of Christ because Christ passionately pursued him first. And this is how it needs to be for all of us brothers and sisters in the church, that we are a one-thing person. Mm-hmm. So if we were to ask people who know us well, what's his or her one thing, what would they say? We can often look at our time and money and get a hint as to what that one thing might be. In my own experience, it was impressed on my heart that he must be first. And I fought that at first. But it might be instructive for us to ask, what one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters the most? Negatively, what could you throw off? And positively, what could you add? Don't underestimate the power of making just one change. David Powelson notes that change in just one area affects every area of our lives. So let's make a goal for ourselves to press on in this race, put sin to death, take off everything that hinders, and pursue Christ wholeheartedly. Okay, so now let's look at how do we run. And now we hear Paul say this. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that I do, and we're in the second part of verse 13, he says, One thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And now the first thing that Paul just told us there is we need to forget what is behind. Mm. There, there are things that, that we will need to forget in order to run our race. Uh, that might sound strange, but think about it. Every good runner knows that you cannot look over your shoulder while you're running or you're going to get distracted or you'll stumble or you may even lose the race. So what are some of the things that we might need to forget that are behind us? Uh, Well, first of all, this could apply to our past mistakes, our past failures. Uh, There's no doubt that every Christian has failed God at some point. And we know this, and we can clearly see it in our Bible heroes as well. Every one of them, but of course Jesus, was flawed and failed at some point. And, and we, we could be fixated on our past mistakes, but we can't be. Yeah, we, we can't let our sins be a heavy burden on our back like Christians were in Pilgrim's Progress. We need to remember the gospel, that if we have turned away from our sin and turned to the Lord in repentance and faith, that he has washed us clean. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So we are to forget past failures. 
Don't let shame and guilt paralyze you from moving forward today. That's a strategy of the enemy. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. You know, modern wisdom focuses too much on the past. Some people are consumed with the victim mentality, but the gospel is more powerful than your past. He can heal any wound. He can cleanse from any filth, and he can make you new. So forget what is behind. Leave all sin you've committed at the cross and all sin committed against you at the cross. Now, because of the cross, we can forget what is behind us. And um, now there's another way that we uh, may need to forget what's behind us, and that is to forget our past achievements, uh, to forget about resting on those things today. Uh, you could call this maybe the glory days syndrome. Uh, you know, Paul could have put his feet up, right? He could have said, hey, look at all the people that have been converted under my ministry. Look at all the churches that have been planted. Uh, he could have taken an early retirement and coasted, but, but no, he didn't. And, and there is that danger for us to, to just rest in the past. Uh, maybe years ago, we were part of an exciting or successful ministry where we were enjoying a much closer walk with God back then. And it can be easy to look back um, and not just look back in appropriate thankfulness, but to look back with nostalgia and, and just stay there. And that, that can cripple us in our faith. You know, um, it makes me think of the movie uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And there's a, there's a character in that movie whose name is Uncle Rico. And he's a middle-aged former athlete, and he's living in a camper van. And in the movie, he's just regularly videoing himself throwing a football. He's just reliving the old days of his high school football stardom. So uh, don't be an Uncle Rico, right? We want to move on with life in the present season. And so we need to forget those uh, past successes. We cannot rely on them. The enemy would want us to dwell there. You know, Ecclesiastes says this. It says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So forget looking back. Keep your eyes on Christ. And that's exactly what it says in this verse, that we need to forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Lauren, can you take us to the next verse, verse 14? Mm-hmm. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I just want to emphasize how important it is to keep our eyes on the goal, to keep our eyes on the prize. You know, I think of an example in my own life of high school track practice. My closest friends, they were serious athletes. They gave maximum effort. Uh, They were the ones I needed to stick close to. Uh, But one day our coaches said it was time for the hills. And that was the most dreadful, hated, intense workout of the year. It was needed for us, that's for sure. But I had another friend at practice, uh, and she thought it'd be more fun to just take a turn on our way to the hills and to, uh, to just hang out and chat. So I skipped practice that day uh, and talked to this other track friend. You know, my closest friends that I should have been uh, staying near at that time, they had their eyes on the goal. They worked hard. They ran those hills. They pressed on with their eyes on the prize. And you know what? They were state champions that year and I was not. And this example is instructive to me in my own Christian race. The serious athlete doesn't ask about how to just get by in his training. He asks about what will bring about maximum performance. 
uh, and, and they're willing to do the work. And in the same way, a serious Christian is not going to ask, how far can I go or how much of the world can I enjoy? But, but rather, how can I press on to know, love, and serve Jesus more? You know, I've had to learn in my own Christian life how I need to step away from certain friends or relationships or influences that take me away from the hills and take my eyes off the prize. So again, it's so important for us in the Christian life to have our eyes on the right goal and to know the right prize, which is knowing Christ. And again, Paul says this is a mark of maturity. He says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. So if we are spiritually mature, we, we will realize uh, how far that we have to go. And uh, we won't pretend that we're on a further path than we are. We, we all have a great way to go in our pursuit of Christ and in pursuit of holiness and evangelism. But you know, there were some in the city of Philippi who did not have that maturity. Uh, there were some um, in and around the church who, who, who felt that they had arrived, that they had attained sinless perfection even. And so Paul wants to help us avoid falling into this attitude. And, and Paul now just goes on to give us more help. He says, here's some practical things that we can do, that you have to do to not fall into that way of thinking. So he says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Well, what do we see here? Once again, we see the importance of imitation in discipleship. Uh, that is, you know, who we hang out with matters. Whom you imitate matters. If you walk with the wise, you will grow wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Those are from Proverbs. Now, I think of a positive example in my life. Uh, one time when I was living in, in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, I had a friend named Rollin. And Rollin... Uh, one day decided that he was going to start dragging me out hmm. to go running. Now, I thought that I was in shape. I thought I was a decent runner. Uh, my friend Rollin, by the way, he, uh, he had been in the army, so he was on a different level than me. And he would take me out running uh, in the cold and through the hills, and um, I, I had a hard time keeping up to him. But you know what I found is that as we went on, I could go further, I could go harder, and... Um, I grew in my distance. And you know what? I also grew in my relationship with the Lord mm. because while we were running, Rollin and I were talking and Rollin was also a great example of the faith. And uh, so he got me <laughs> physically in shape and spiritually mm. in shape. But it does matter who we imitate and who we, who we walk with and who our eyes are on. Right. And in, in my high school track practice example, I should have imitated my closest friends who had their eyes on the goal, the state championships, and they took it seriously, but I ended up being drawn into fun times, which took my focus off of the right things. And it's kind of like those in the next verse. In verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Hmm. Yeah, so here we see the opposite of the spectrum. And, and don't miss Paul's heart toward these folks here, these unbelievers or even these false teachers. He tells us about him, he says, even with tears. You see that in the text in verse 18? Even with tears. He, he cares about them desperately. Uh, these are the very people that are enemies of the cross, uh, and, and Paul cares for them. But it tells us that, you know, that we, this was us, that this was all of us before we knew Christ. 
That can sound harsh, but scripture says that we were enemies of God before we knew him. Romans 5.10 says that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us to reconcile us. And he goes on to say, in verse 19, Paul does, that their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their, they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. So if we are not living for God, what will we be living for? And uh, the answer is ourselves. The, the text says that the destiny of such is destruction. Uh, the Greek word for destruction in this context is said, um, the destruction which consists in the loss of eternal life, eternal misery, uh, perdition, the lot of those excluded from the kingdom of God. And that is why Paul is in tears. And this is why we should be in tears. And, and it goes on to say that their God is their stomach. Right, Lauren? Yeah, or, or this can be read, their God is their appetites, their hungers, or their lusts control them. They're always looking to meet their earthly drives and desires. Their mental time, their physical time is all after these things. So they're constantly driven by their desires. And we can see that there's, there's not going to be self-control here. You know, you've heard that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but here it tells us that the road to hell is paved with good times, with one party after another. They glory in their shame, and presently they boast in it, and they are excited about it, but they will be greatly ashamed in the end. Now, do we, as followers of Jesus, have a reason to be different? Well, we do. Uh, We do have a reason to fight the deadly A of apathy, so that we don't stumble onto that path that we just looked at, Uh, we do have reason. And Paul gives gives it to us in verse 20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the main reason that we want to run the race, rather than, you know, have apathy and, and sensuality run us, is because of who we are, because of identity. Simply, we are citizens of another country, God's kingdom. We are card-carrying citizens of something much better. Verse 20 here is related to chapter 1, verse 21, that says our matter of life as citizens is to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, which means we live to show the great worth of Christ. We We know that parties and debauchery is not what life is about. Christ is better, and we want others to know that and to see that. And how we do that is that we do it through our waiting. That's what Paul says. He says, and, and from it, from that citizenship, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord Jesus is coming back. We, we don't want to forget that. And so are we waiting for his return? And it says in verse 21, this, in this return, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That verse there, Lauren, it's incredible hope for us, isn't it? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ will make everything right. He is the king who will bring everything under his control by his great power. And part of this finale is that we will receive new bodies. Again, it's not just about going to heaven. We will get new bodies free from decay and sickness and pain, bodies that will last forever, and they will never get old and achy. We will live together with him on a new heavens and a new earth, free from sickness, pain, and death. What a gift. Yeah, and talk about the prize Mm. at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. What a reward. 
Well, Paul puts this imagery of an athlete before us, and he wants us to see that God calls us to focus in on the prize. And the truth is, if we have no prize or goal before us, we will live for ourselves. We'll live for our comforts, our desires. If our goal is before us, then we will be willing to give up those comforts and run hard for what is so much better in eternity. Well, you know what? Since this passage today that we've looked at is all about running the race, uh, Lauren and I just can't resist ending this time with this illustration from Chariots of Fire. If you don't know, uh, the story of Chariots of Fire is about two runners in the 1924 Olympics, and, and one is a Christian, Eric Liddell. And he makes the often quoted statement, quote, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Paul too felt the pleasure of running for the prize. And he is commending to us this way of life. You know, Eric Liddell would later go on to serve in the mission field. Um, He would run for something far greater than just a gold medal. So may we run for something greater than worldly rewards. And may we feel God's pleasure as we run for the prize. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who ran for the joy that was set before him. Let's run for his glory, his kingdom, and his purposes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel, how you first pursued us and saved us not because of any good that we had done, but when we were sinners, you came and did this for us and you died for us. And now because of your love and your mercy to run after us and rescue us, may may we run hard to you and to your purposes. May we have an all-out pursuit in our faith. So Lord, would you lead us away from the temptations when we might think that we have arrived Uh, Would you lead us away from the temptations of of being apathetic? Uh, Let us run with an all-out pursuit. Let us follow the godly examples that you've put in our lives and the ones who have gone before us, recognizing and living from our true citizenship with our hope in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to diving into Philippians chapter 4 with you next week.